Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. I want to speak today on the stream of the Spirit in the desert of my life. The stream of the Spirit in the desert of my life. You know, really, the only access that we have to God is through prayer. Isn't that right? So, I am not any particular representative of God any more than anyone else is other than when I communicate what the Bible says about the Word of God. And then I live out what God has done in my life out into the world. And that's what we all do. One of the distinctives of a Baptist church is the priesthood of the believer. And we were just discussing some of those things before the service. And the Bible says that we are all, every saved person, every person that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life, all of us, we are priests. So, um, I know that uh, Bob's not here today. Where's Jay? At? Jay is a Michigan fan. And so he, he, he might say to me, Pastor, I'm a Michigan fan. And so my response to that would be, Jay, I'm not your priest. You don't have to confess your sin to me. God will forgive that. See, this idea of, of priesthood where you go to a man that has special power and that man has the power to forgive your sin or not forgive your sin. That man has the power to tell you to do something that can take away your sin. That's not a biblical position. My father, many of you know my father was a preacher, and he would tell the story of this little old lady who was in the hospital. She was about to die. And a priest came in and said to her, Ma'am, would you like for me to take away your sin? And she said, Let me see your hands. And he said, What? She said, let me see your hands. And so he showed her his hands and she took them and she went like this. And there are no nail prints there. You can't take away my sin. There's a song, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that in sacrifices, God wasn't satisfied. But with the precious blood of Jesus, our sin is washed away. What a wonderful thing that is. And so because we have access, um, keep your place in Romans here. You might want to put a marker there or something because we're going to be coming back there in Romans 8. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick, that means it's alive, it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, GQ, I think I mentioned last week, they came out with their list of overrated books, most overrated books in history that you don't need to read. One of them was Mark Twain, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer. That you know, it's an overrated book. It reminds me of the, the the guy that went running through the art gallery. He didn't have time to look at the frames, let alone the pictures. And as he was walking out, the guard said to him, "Sir, did you enjoy our museum?" And he said, "Oh, I didn't see much." He said, "Sir, it's not the art that's on trial here; it's the guests." And that's the same way with GQ. When they say the Bible is overrated, that just demonstrates their own ignorance. 
the Bible here says of itself that it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The reason the guys at GQ don't like it is because it says at the end of verse 12 that it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says of man's heart that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You've heard me talk about Jiminy Cricket theology. Follow your heart, Pinocchio. Follow your heart. And that's like telling a child, follow something that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is sinful. Follow the Word of God. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Don't follow the way that you think is right. Follow the thing that is right, and then you will be right. I would challenge our guest, and it's awful to have a sermon preached to a guest, but I would challenge our guest, if he does make it to the Senate, to not follow what he thinks is right, but to discern what does this say about human government and follow what this says. And if you'll do this, then regardless of what your skeptics say, what your critics say, you can stand knowing that you're standing on the truth and that your foundation is absolutely right. And I am thankful that there are men in Congress that are that way. You know that our congressman, Jim Jordan, is that way. And I know as a church that you're not supposed to endorse a candidate, but I'm a citizen of the United States, and I think Jim Jordan's a man of God doing a great job for us. Isn't that right? Okay, so ACLU, if you're listening, that's not Grace Baptist, that's Jim Alter. And Grace Baptist said? <laughs> All right. I ain't scared. All right, so let's look, look at what it says in verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight made plain, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, he mentioned uh, his son is in Pensacola. My, my son, you know, is in Pensacola as well at Pensacola Christian College, coming home Saturday. And Jacob, when he was little, we are playing hide-and-seek, and... At our house, when we lived over here on Edgewood, the curtains came down to about right here. And Jacob went and hid behind the curtains. <laughs> and so we walk in. Where's Jacob? Where's Jacob? And because he couldn't see us, he thought we couldn't see him. The sad thing is it was on his 16th birthday. But it was just... That's <laughs> no, not true. <laughs> People think the same way. If I get rid of the Bible, God can't see me. If I pretend the law isn't there, if I pretend the truth isn't there, if I pretend that, that right and wrong, good and evil don't exist, then God can't see me. It's like the child hiding when everyone can see where he is, and it's just a complete fallacy. According to the Bible here, it says, "...neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight." But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest, and that's Jesus Christ, that great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, he was God, but he became man. And he became man so that he could feel and experience the temptation, the sin, the struggle that you and I experience. But then look at what it says about him. It says, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Those three words are the difference between Jesus and me. He's sinless. Verse 16, let us therefore come, what is that next word? 
boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what God tells us is that we need to come boldly to the throne of grace. Go back to Romans chapter 8. So prayer is vital, but the problem is God doesn't answer your prayer. He doesn't even hear your prayer unless you come by the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to have access to the Father. That's through our great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. That's the only way that we have access to God in prayer. When we have that access, we can come boldly into the throne of grace. One of my favorite stories from the the, uh, Civil War, there was a soldier and his brother, he had two brothers that had been killed in the war, and his mother had asked him to come home and bring the crops in. She was a widow. She had three sons. Two of them had died in the war. So the young man, his mother sent him this letter. He went to his commanding officer, and he said, Sir, will you release me so I can go home and bring in the crops? My mom's alone. And he said, Son, I can't, I can't release you. There's only one person that can release you. And he said, Who's that? It's the President of the United States. So he realized he was in trouble. So he was walking down the street, and he was really despondent. And this little boy saw him and said, Sir, and he was in his uniform, he said, Sir, what's wrong? And he said, I need to see the president. No one would ever let me see the president. He said, come here. He took him by the hand and he walked him right up the street, right into the White House, right into the Oval Office, walked up to the president. And President Lincoln said, Tad, what can I do for you, son? He said, this man needs to talk to you. This is a true story. And he said to the president, told him the story, and the president wrote him, he said he wrote a letter to his mother thanking her for his sacrifice and releasing this young man so he could go home and bring the crops in. What's the difference? He had access through his son. See, Tad just came boldly into the throne, into the Oval Office, which, praise God, is not a throne. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have no king but Jesus. Amen? We have presidents. And so that's the same way that we get to have access to God through Jesus Christ. But the Bible says in the book of 1 John, there's two kinds of people in the world. Let's look at it. 1 John chapter 5. Lord willing, we will make it to Romans 8. 1 John chapter 5. Only two kinds of people, not short and tall, not black and white, not rich and poor. There's two kinds of people. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. Remember, life is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. only two kinds of people in the world. People that have the Son of God and they have life, or they don't have the Son of God and they don't have life. How do you get the Son of God? Let's go back to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Look at verse 9. Romans 10 and verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness... And with the mouth, 
Confession is made unto salvation. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. Shall be saved. So how do you call on the name of the Lord? You're driving down the road. Somebody runs you off the road. You run into a ditch and you go, Oh, Jesus! Do you think that's what it's talking about? No, no. That's called swearing. No. Calling on the name of the Lord is saying, Jesus, I know that you're God and I'm not. I know that I deserve to go to hell. And right now, I'm trusting you as my Savior. I'm not believing in my good works. I'm not believing in my baptism. I'm not believing in my, the money that I give away. None of that can save me. The only thing that can save me, Lord Jesus, is you. Now, remember, that's not a process of belief. That's something, and it might be a process that leads you to the point where you believe. But there is a point where you were lost and then you're saved. It's a transaction. It's where I give Jesus all my sin. He takes that sin and gives me His righteousness. Because I don't have any of my own. And that's not a process. It's an exchange that takes place at a point in time where I am born again. Once that happens, now I have access to God and I can pray. Look at Romans chapter 8. I want you to see something about prayer. First of all, my position. My position is I am a hopeful son. And we talked about how Lincoln's son had access and that, that we have access to the Father through the Son, Jesus. But not only is Jesus Christ the Son of God, but John 1 says it this way. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. And so then it says here in Romans chapter 8, it says this in verse, look at verse 14. But as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the, what's it say right there? Sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of, what's that next word? Whereby we cry, Abba. See, when we're saved, we're born again, and God adopts us into His family. How fitting was Mike's statement about adoption a few minutes ago? Do you remember what he said about his grandparents? He loved them more. See, because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we've been adopted into that family. The Bible then says that not only are we heirs, but we're joint heirs with Christ. Look at what it says in verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the what? And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. So Jesus Christ is going to be glorified, but we're going to be glorified in Him. What a wonderful thing that is. Why? Because I am a hopeful son. I can have hope in the world as bad as this world is. I can have hope because I am a son of God because I believed in him. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. I love this. There is therefore, what's that next word? Now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How do you get in Christ Jesus? You must be born again. That transaction has to take place. But if you are in Christ, then you are this, this hopeful son. You're an heir and a joint heir with Christ. 
Look at this. I know that I have access to God's throne. And I know that God has the power, provision, and purpose to meet my need according to His will. Here's the wonderful thing about it. My children, if they had a genuine need, they know that we'd take care of it. They know that. You know there are children who don't know that? Isn't that an awful thing? I'm so thankful that God has provided for us in such a way that if our children had a genuine need, we can meet that need. And if it's a genuine need, we will meet it. Now, sometimes there's something they don't need, right? If my son asked me for a car, I'd say no. You know why? He doesn't need it. But if he was hungry... There's nothing better than feeding your kids. There's nothing better than that. So let's, let's continue. I know that God, who's a much better father than me, I know that God has the power, provision, and purpose to meet my need according to his will. You know, Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorites. He preached a sermon on prayer. Listen to what he said. I think, dear friends, you will all admit that if a man can pray, his trouble is at once lightened. When we feel that we have power with God and can obtain anything we ask for at His hands, then our difficulties cease to oppress us. We take our burden to our Heavenly Father and tell it out in the accents of childlike confidence. And we come away quite content to bear whatever His holy will may lay upon us. Prayer is a great outlet for grief. It abates the swelling flood, which else might be too strong for us. We bathe our wound in the lotion of prayer, and the pain is lulled, the fever is removed. So I know that I have access to God because I'm a hopeful son. I know that I can pray, but my problem is that I'm a handicapped sinner. Uh, Look look what the text says. Look with me in verse 24. I am a hopeful son. It says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? All right? And he goes on and talks about that. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit beareth uh, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Our infirmities. What is I'm infirmed. I'm weak. So you all know that years ago I was out in Colorado skiing, and I fell, and my binding didn't fall off. And my, you know, your knee, now you, you high schoolers, this is going to be hard for you to follow. There's some physics involved, okay? It's supposed to bend this way. It's not supposed to bend this way. <laughs> Mine did. And so I tried to ski on it, I, you know, so I tried to go sideways, and I did fine. I got on this side, and I got up, and, man, it hurt. And I went this way, and my leg went like that. The Joe Theismann. Have you ever seen somebody had that Joe Theismann uh, pencil sharpener? It was his leg kind of swinging around on the side of the pencil sharpener. That's about what my leg looked like. So I had surgery on it. Surgery didn't work. And they gave me, I got this thing that said that I've got a permanent disability, that I'm handicapped. And we find that when I try and run or jump. You know, I'm short, but I'm slow. (laughs) And so I'm handicapped. There are certain things that I just can't do. I was out in Colorado. My brother-in-law's climbing up the side of this mountain, and I was supposed to follow him. And so I was doing great until I tried to put weight on that leg, and it just didn't work. Handicapped. There's some things that I just can't do because of that handicap. There are some people that they can't hear, or they can't speak, or they can't see. Some people can't think, and we, we call them Democrats. But there's a, <laughs> there are people that, that struggle with so many different issues in their lives. My problem as a Christian is this. I still have this flesh. I'm a sinner. 
And so there are times when I want to pray, but I don't know how to pray. I'm a handicapped sinner. This, I like this statement. What the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. What the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. So sometimes I'll ask God for something that God doesn't want me to have because I've believed something wrong. And we've all been there, right? When I was in college, I was dating a girl and she broke up with me. I know that shocks you ladies. It's unbelievable that somebody wouldn't want to date me. Okay, there were lots of them that didn't want to date me. But she broke up with me and my heart was broken and I prayed, God, please give me your back. God didn't answer that prayer, but God brought Laura and Laura is such a better wife than that girl ever would have been. You say, I hope she's not listening. No, there were dozens, so they would never know which one was the one that broke up with me. Um, I'm so glad that God didn't answer that prayer because I was asking for the wrong thing. And we've all done that. So my problem is I have access to God, but I don't know what to pray for many times. What we presuppose at this point is what we really believe about God, regardless of what we profess to believe about God. So you might be going through something hard and you pray, but what you're asking God for, he never promised to give you. And then you stop believing in God because you asked him for something he never promised to give you. And that affects us in such a terrible way. So what we have to understand is that God wants us to come to him and he wants us to pray according to his will. Why is that? Because His will is always better than our will. I'm a handicapped sinner. Spurgeon again, he said this. We may be brought into such perturbation of mind. Isn't that a great word? Perturbed. Perturbation of mind and perplexity of heart that we do not know how to pray. We see the mercy seat and we perceive that God will hear us. We have no doubt about that. For we know that we are His own favored children. And yet we hardly know what to desire. We fall into such heaviness of spirit and entanglement of thought that the one remedy of prayer, which we have always found to be unfailing, appears to be taken from us. So my own personal testimony, and I know that many of you have heard this. So while I was in college, Laura and I had a son. His name was Riley. Riley was very sick. We took him to the hospital one day because his coloring wasn't right. He's four and a half months old, and the doctor told us that he wasn't going to make it. He was going to die. And so I started praying. And I tried to care for things myself, and and it just didn't work. Our pastor helped so much through that time. But then he died. And I remember going home, and what do you pray then? And I remember just putting my face in my pillow, and all I could say, now here I am, I'm a Bible college student. I'm preparing to be a preacher. I'm about to graduate in three weeks got into the ministry. I'm supposed to know these answers, right? All I could do, I put my face in my pillow and all I could say was, oh God. Oh God. I didn't have any idea what to pray. That's what Spurgeon is talking about. And all of us can get to the place where we recognize we have access to God because we've been born again. I'm a hopeful son. I know that there's no condemnation. I know that I have access to God. I know that I come boldly into the throne of grace. I can get to my place in prayer where I can almost see the throne of God. I know He's there and I know He wants to help, but I don't have any idea what to ask for. That's my problem. I'm a handicapped sinner. I'm infirmed, but I have a partner. And it's a Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26 again. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our 
infirmities. Do you see that? See, my partner in this prayer thing is the Holy Spirit of God. Remember the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons in the Godhead, and they have distinct roles. God the Father ordains. He determines what will happen. God the Son speaks. He's the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Then the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He'll not speak of Himself. But what's over the Father and the Son say, that will He speak. God the Father ordains. God the Son speaks. God the Holy Spirit executes. But the Holy Spirit also indwells us. And look what the Bible says the Holy Spirit does for us in prayer. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. So here, look what the Holy Spirit does for me. He comforts my infirmity with the help of God. He comforts my infirmity with the help of God. Do you see the text? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. I don't know what to pray for. That word help, I like this, he helps me. That means he takes the opposite side of it. Now, do you remember when your kids were little and you were carrying something and they helped you? Remember that? So basically, so if you're carrying this table and your, your little boy is helping you, you're not only carrying the table, you're carrying the little boy. Right? This is what it is when God helps us. God is actually carrying my whole burden. He's carrying my whole problem. He helps me in my infirmity. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, Isaiah 46.1. He is our help. He helps me to pray when I don't know how. Then He converts my groans to the language of God. Look at what it says in verse 26 again. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When I put my face in the pillow and just said, Oh God, do you know what God did? The Holy Spirit took those groans of mine and converted that into the exact words the Father needed to hear to help me. I didn't know what to say. Have you ever said this to someone? Man, I wish I could tell you what I'm thinking. I just don't have the words to say it. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Hey, young men, I know that you all think that you're smooth until you try and talk to a girl. Right? And then you need Cyrano de Bergerac. Right? Do you know who that is? You don't. Anyway, you need someone... I'm literate. You need someone to help you to talk to a girl. Let me encourage you. It'll never get better. (laughs) Wouldn't it be wonderful if you're trying to talk to this girl and somebody came along and told her exactly what she needed to hear to think you were awesome? Of course, they'd be lying at that point, right? (laughs) (laughs) Most encouraging church in the world for the young people. What does the Holy Spirit do? With the Holy Spirit, when I pray, even when I don't know what to pray, He tells the Father exactly, exactly what I would say if I knew what to say. When all I can do is just cry, the Holy Spirit takes that and He converts my groans to the language of God. He speaks for me. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Spurgeon said, "Is the power of the Holy Ghost in us which creates all real prayer, even that which take the form of a groan because the mind is incapable by reason of its bewilderment and grief of clothing its emotion in words. The Holy Spirit takes care of that. And then he compares my heart to the mind of God. 
He compares my heart to the mind of God. Remember, we already said it. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Look at verse 26 again. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for. What are those next three words? As we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And look, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the... Look at the capital S, Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So what God does is He searches my heart and He compares that to the Holy Spirit of God, to what is true. It's such an amazing thing. He knows me. Psalm 103, 13, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. Have you ever asked your child to do something and then you realize they couldn't do it? Did you get mad at the child because they couldn't do it? No, you recognize it was too hard for them. It was too great for them. It's so important that we get that. Then he conforms my prayer to the will of God. So not only does he tell the Father what I need, he looks at my heart, and then he conforms my prayer to the will of God. He actually prays for me. Look at It's in the text. Look at verse 27. And he searcheth, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he takes my groan and gives it to God according to the Father's will. The Bible says if we ask anything according to His will, He'll do it. God knows exactly what we need. And He compares my heart to the mind of God. And then He conforms my prayer to the will of God. He tells the Father what I really need according to His will. He teaches me. See, here's what happens. When I pray and then I watch what God does, there are things that I pray for that God doesn't do. Do you know what that tells me? I was praying for the wrong thing. When I pray for something and then God does it, that teaches me that that prayer was according to God's will. And He will do that. Isn't that right? Your kids ask you to do something. Laura has a statement. She says, I wish I could, but I don't want to. You need a t-shirt that says that, right? I wish I could. I like the t-shirt that says, I'm sorry I'm late, but I didn't want to come. (laughs) I like that. You see, all of us, our children have asked us for things that we don't want to do. When they ask us for things that we do want to do, there's a better chance that we're going to do those things. The difference between God and us is everything that God does for us is good for us. Everything He doesn't do for us, that would be bad for us. And so when we ask God to do something that's good for us, He does it. So what I learn, He teaches me to know the mind of God. He teaches me to pray the Word of God. See, when God promises me something in His Word, when I pray that to Him, He'll give me that because He's already promised it to me. If I went to God and I said, God, give me a Ferrari, give me a Ferrari, give me a Ferrari, give me a Ferrari. I doubt God's going to give me a Ferrari. Now, if you guys want to buy me a Ferrari, today's my birthday. I'm Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. Okay? But that's a joke. Please don't. Build, give it to the building fund. Nobody buy me a Ferrari. <laughs> to know the mind of God, to pray the Word of God, this is what God teaches me, and then to see the hand of God. You see, there are so many things that go on in our lives, and we've seen this verse so many times, but now we can understand it. Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You see, when I've been going to the Father as a hopeful son, recognizing I'm a handicapped sinner, then I recognize that my partner is the Holy Spirit. And what God does is He does all of those things. He 
conforms my infirmity, or he, he comforts my infirmity with the help of God. He converts my prayer to the language of God. He compares my heart to the mind of God. He conforms my prayer to the will of God. And then he connects my work with the will of God. He connects my work with the plan of God, I should say. We exist to do things that can't be done without God's special supernatural grace. It is amazing when God uses you to do something that you never thought you could do. That's what God wants us to do. How does that work out? We don't exist to preach, but to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit so that people are supernaturally awakened from unbelief and changed beyond what any human could cause. You know, we have a politician here today, but we often talk about what the the cross can do, what politics can't. I love what he said. We need to change people's hearts about abortion. Now, we want it to be illegal, right? But people will still do it unless we change their hearts. So true. Then we don't exist to teach Sunday school, but to teach in the power of the Holy Spirit so that children and young people and adults are supernaturally converted and built up in the faith and love beyond what any human could cause. We don't exist to sing, but to sing in the power of the Holy Spirit because the affections of our hearts are supernaturally enlightened and the glory of Christ is seen and enjoyed beyond what any human or any music could cause. We don't exist to do evangelism and discipleship and missions, but to do evangelism and discipleship and missions in the power of the Holy Spirit so that hard, unbelieving hearts are supernaturally changed into soft, believing hearts. Spurgeon wrote this. It was so good. And remember, Spurgeon had terrible gout and and kidney disease and horrible depression, and he was physically a wreck, and he wrote this. When I was racked some months ago with pain to an extreme degree, so that I could no longer bear it without crying out, I asked all to go from the room and leave me alone. And then I had nothing I could say to God but this, Thou art my father, and I am thy child. And thou, as a father, art tender and full of mercy. I could not bear to see my child suffer as thou makest me suffer. And if I saw him tormented as I am now, I would do what I could to help him and put my arms under him to sustain him. Wilt thou hide thy face from me, my father? Wilt thou still lay on a heavy hand and not give me a smile from thy countenance? So I pleaded. And I ventured to say when I was quiet, and they came back who watched me, I shall never have such pain again from this moment, for God has heard my prayer. I bless God that ease came and the racking pain never returned. The stream and the spirit and the desert of my life. Have you all ever get to the place where you don't even know how to pray? Now, if you're here and you've never come to that point in time where you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm not asking you if you've taken communion. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you've gone to Sunday school. Have you come to a point in time where you've acknowledged your sin told Jesus, I can't save myself. I need you to save me. Please forgive me and be my Savior. Today, today, I want to be born again. If you've never done that, you need to do that today. If you've done that, you have access to God and you know that there's no condemnation. You know that you have access to God. But you might get to the place where you don't know how to pray. I hope that you'll review this text, that you'll look here in the Scriptures and see that God can help you. I know some of the things that some of you are going through. You're waiting for a report from a doctor. You've got a child that's sick. You've got a family relationship that's severed. You've got a job situation that you don't know what to do. You might have an emotional situation, a depression. You might have something that's going on, and you try to pray, but you don't even know how to pray. I want you to know today that there's hope, that you have a Heavenly Father 
who sent the Holy Spirit to indwell you and to go to Him for you. Just rest in Him today. Dear Heavenly Father, help us. We are desperate people. Lord, we try to do so much in our own strength.